This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and I have a superstar of a guest for the, today's episode. His name is Pedro Delatore with Logic Auto. He's a mobile diagnostician, programming, also does locksmithing. He really does everything. Uh, he is on the cutting edge, literally the cutting edge of what we would call either circuit board level work or EEPROM, if you like. We're going to talk some more about that a little later, but before I get too far, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Napa. It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care is addressing that. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce a technician with three ASE certifications. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. Welcome to the podcast, Pedro. I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend with me. It's an honor to be here. Thanks, man. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, I didn't know it was icy down in Indiana already that you slipped and fell and hit your head. <laughs> I really appreciate the kind words. Oh, no, not at all, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped up. You know, ever since I found out that you were going to start doing this, uh, it was definitely something I really look forward to having an opportunity to be on here with you. Mobile diagnostics. You're one of them guys. Yeah, the, the crazy ones. Would you mostly uh, programming or you do a fair bit of diag? I know you do a fair bit of diag, but in the grand scheme? In the grand scheme, it's uh, mostly uh, diagnostics, actually. When I first started, that's really what uh, helped me get the, my foot in the door with a lot of shops. And when I left my job to start this, uh, I didn't have a lot of tooling. You know, I had a J-Box, uh, a couple scopes and some basic scan tools. And I would come in the door and offering diagnostic services. And like anything else, I would get up to a point where something was needed to be programmed and I didn't have a tool. So here I go having to go buy something else. And as you could probably relate, it's, it's a sickness. It just gets worse and worse. I definitely relate to that. And it's definitely a sickness. Credit card companies love it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It never stops. You think you're catching up and then something new comes out. Yeah. I start catching myself buying stuff for the one offer like that one and not so much a car line but platform within a car line that i i know i will probably run into and i will buy a freaking tool to cover my butt on one you know small group of cars or one model of cars that's in a you know whatever rather small year range just in case it would show up and need some kind of a you know job performed and I will drop the money for something that will collect dust for six years and then I'll use it and feel justified. And possibly forget you even have it, right? I've had a situation and I was talking to a friend and he's like, well, if I had that, I would try this. I'm like, wait a second, that rings a bell. And sure enough, it's uh, sitting in the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> I've been close to that. This is a while ago, but I had a, um, a shop called me up. They put a rear end in a it was the Ford version, so it was the, not Lincoln Continental, but the uh, Crown Victoria. And they put a new rear end in it, and the speedometer was off. So they asked me if I could change the speedometer, and I remembered doing it with IDS. Like, IDS would give me a few choices of rear axle ratios, and I would just do it, and it would work. And so I fly over there, and no, there's two choices, and neither of them are for this car. Or either one I choose doesn't help. Not to keep anything shrouded in darkness but 
the uh, rear end they had put in came out of a police interceptor. So it wasn't supposed to be in that car. The real fix would have been go get the right rear end. But I'm like, what can I do? What can I do? I'm thinking about it. IDS. I've tried lying to it. All kinds of stuff. Didn't work. I'm kind of Googling it. Completely forgot I had Foreskin. That's happened to me a few times with Foreskin, yeah. With a lot more research, I probably might have been able to do it with Foreskin. I would have had to really dig to find what line to change that wasn't readily available. But it gave me an excuse to go buy another tool, HP Tuners in this case, and I edited it that way and worked like gangbusters. You know, when they have those tabs, it does make it very intuitive. I'm I'm far, far, far from, you know, using HP tuners to its full potential. But the few things that I've mingled with, they, they make it easy. Some things might not be that easy and I don't do them. But for some basic services that I offer, yeah, it is definitely a lot easier than digging through some lines of code. I use a lot of it for uh, drivability. Yes. I've heard about this potential and how you how you can alter some things temporarily, right? To assist in diagnosis, maybe enable something, disable this. And I haven't been able to get into that rhythm of uh, having that diagnostic approach. I want to, I want to try it in a, in a comfortable situation. But as you can imagine, a lot of times being mobile or just being in the rush of the day in and out, uh, it, it's tough to really take the time to apply it correctly. Yeah, that and um, I like doing, I can set up the PIDs for three axes. So I can have an X, Y, and Z or and kind of get a map and i find that i i'll use that from time to time not all the time a lot of times i can just get by with just looking at field trims and for you know like 300 bucks maybe it was 400 three or four hundred dollars i mean gosh i just realized the other day i was helping my employee with something that they actually have a crankshaft variation learning there as well um i didn't know that um so no yeah i literally just stumbled on that and uh you do a little bit of locksmithing stuff too Key cutting for sure, programming. Definitely been a journey uh, because that's actually one of the things I had told myself when I started off that I was not going to do. You know, I'm going to leave that to the professionals. The, the, the guy, it, it's an art. You know, locksmithing is an art. I would call myself a codesmith. Uh, you know, we're working off of codes and maybe duplicating keys, but you know, it's to get the job done. When when you're in the situation where you're at a shop, as my customer has hired me to do something for them, it it's really feels that I was lacking when I would have to say, "All right, this is what I had to offer. Call your locksmith now to do this." So, so I got tired of saying that. So I bought myself a key machine, the Triton, and, and I, I love it. I'm not trying to, I don't sell them or anything, but I just really like it. And I found it to be a very intuitive tool. And me having no experience, I was able to start providing the service to customers, tracing keys and all that good stuff. And that evolved into, well, wait, I can't program this type of key on this type of car. It looks like we need alternative methods. And it just opens up this other door of just never ending research and experimenting. Yeah, you call it a door, I call it a rabbit hole. But it opened. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I fell in. I think I'm still in it. I don't think I crawled out of the rabbit hole on that one yet. No, no, it, it's so addicting. You know, I just love being able, when, when something can't be done in, in a traditional manner and just finding an alternative for it, I don't always succeed or it's never, or a lot of times it's not quick. But when it happens, it, it's really, really great. Right? <laughs> it's a pretty good. So gratifying. Pretty good endorphin rush. Oh, man. They said, like, red pill. And I'm like, yeah, give me a couple. And I <laughs> pounded them down. And Oh, that's great. That's a good comparison there. That's what it was. Uh, not only with just trying to figure it out and learn about it, but also money. Like, I just needed another area to spend more money. Take away from the early retirement. Got to put in a few more years after all those tool purchases. <laughs> it won't exist now. Yeah, it definitely does not exist. The house isn't getting much for new ca kitchen cabinets or... 
plumbing so, no, or we, we anything. Need, we need that new scam tool. Forget the kitchen. That's what I. That's my thinking. Now I know why they call you Logic Automotive. <laughs> it's got to make sense, right? <laughs> it makes perfect sense. You're making a lot of sense. <laughs> We've recently learned about, I shouldn't say recently, recently makes it sound like a few weeks ago. Maybe this is a couple years old and a year. I think that we've seen it in the aftermarket. Yeah, you know, it's probably started inside the dealerships and stuff. Yeah, so we're talking about Subarus. And I'm going to say phenomenon because it seems very limited to Subaru. But if the cam timing is off for whatever reason, on at least two kind of platform of engines that I'm aware of, you probably do far, far better than I, but they will compensate by changing something called cam learned values. And the thing is, is once those values change to a compensate, if you will, for the cam timing issue, they don't go back. There's no scan tool functions on any scan tool, not even Subaru. There's no procedures that allow you to reset these or re-zero them or set them up to a, a default. And as far as I know, there's no known amount of driving that will have them relearn the new position. And if it is, it's a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it behaves like an incremental uh, learning process where it's able to count up, meaning that if there's an error that computer feels they can modify or adjust to compensate, it'll incrementally raise that adjustment. And once it counts up that high, let's say you had an issue with uh, a timing component, you go into the repair shop, you get it fixed correctly, guess what? That value doesn't change. So now when you start up the car, you immediately have a timing code. Common one could be like a P0018, let's say. And you go over your timing, you ask friends for known goods, you're checking everything and everything checks out. You know, there's a technical service bulletin. It's very lengthy, but it's very informative that you can go off of. It has some testing that might make you go in circles a few times that Subaru provided. It's about 30 pages long. And, And it gives you some information of things to check for. It covers a lot of vehicles. You know, you could have uh, some Outbacks, Crosstrek, Forester, WRX, a BRZ even. And you could get to the point where, well, what do I do? Uh, all my timing is fine. And then you come to find out, well, your ECM, better said, has learned a value and you can't revert it. Go buy a new ECM. Uh, that's the only solution that was available uh, until recently. As Leo Gilmore and Scott Shine started uh, working together to have a Subaru class revision, uh, they had approached me about these vehicles, knowing that I had done some EEPROM classes and training with Mike Christofferson. Scott Shine actually attended, attended my class in Chicago. You know, being familiar with the class, he had approached me and said, hey, do you think this is something you can take a look into? Uh, we're really eager. I'm sure people are also trying to find a solution, but it would be very neat if we could find something relatively soon. The moment he said that, I'm, that's just me with a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, heck yeah, I'll give it a try. And I started uh, working on it very heavily with Leo. He's awesome. And he, he works at a Subaru dealership out of New York. Super knowledgeable guy. As Scott has done him, uh, the Subaru guru definitely knows his stuff. And he was sharing some stuff with me. We were going back and forth to make this happen. And after a lot of hours of research and experiment, we were able to find a way to reset these modules. Well, when you're in the board level discussion, you have something that could be called a virgin file, right? Where you have like a file from a brand new computer or something like that. And our approach was to not try to address it that way. Uh, if we service a computer for a customer, let's say we don't want to have to wipe everything out. And what if they don't have the capability to relearn the immobilizer system? 
they're even in a worse predicament now. At least the car used to drive now with a check engine light. Now you're going to send it back and the car doesn't start. So we were able to narrow down a solution where we could just address that part of the computer. And when you plug it in, drive the vehicle, it'll learn the known good values, hopefully, if you fix the car correctly, and you're good to go. And it'll save the customer some money in investing in a new computer. And it's exciting as heck, of course, to be able to do something like that, that the factory tool does not offer. Right. So, yeah, what he's talking about with the um, editing is he's at the circuit board. There's chips on there known as EEPROMs. And they store certain data in them. And the data is files of various sizes, but it's in hexadecimal. And it has many different lines, many different cells, many different, I don't know if we want to say columns. That's how it's displayed to us. But And you've gone in and you've figured out what needs to be changed where. And that's just, that's a phenomenal thing. That is, is uh, really simply amazing uh, that you did that and can do that and offer an option for us to be able to, presumably send you the module yeah that's my goal and you know after uh going having a a a great great time with microsoft and teaching this stuff around the country i'm really excited about being able to offer this to people uh so the the guys that are involved with circuit board tooling and experience share that knowledge and have them be able to do this as well you know it's very important but i just remember when i was first trying to get into this and it hasn't really been that long Man, I would reach out everywhere for help. And it's people hold this stuff close to their chest. They don't like to share it. And I've always had this philosophy that there's enough cars for everybody. You know, if I put work into something, you know, it's definitely I'd rather teach somebody how to fish and just give them a free answer. But when you're willing to put in the work, it's really appreciated when you have some guidance from someone that's uh seasoned and has done it and can at least point you in the right direction and i didn't really have a lot of that until i had met mike Uh, and he definitely is the one that uh just pointed me in the right direction i ran with it so so that being said sure it's it's neat to be able to offer this as a mailing service you know we do that for a lot of our customers that they send us stuff from all over the country we address their issues and then send them back Uh, but being able to offer a webinar that that's what i'm going to be working on now is to provide that information hands-on and examples of how to do this yourself so if you have one of these cars and you're in an area that has a lot of these vehicles you can do that for your customers and sell it as a service or even dealerships Uh, And it's going to be a very, very good opportunity for a lot of shops. And it'll be a great learning opportunity for techs that are able to join us for that webinar. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to join that, watch that, view that. Most definitely. It's going to be happening very, very soon. It's going to be in the probably the middle of October. Uh, So as soon as I have that date, I'll be sharing it on a lot of platforms and maybe share it with you so you can give an exact date. Uh, But definitely look forward to the middle of October. It's it's definitely happening. Yeah, that would be great. So where where would you say you're entry into the rabbit hole that is EEPROM started? Well, you were there. It's when Microsofterson decided to share a post on Diag.net, maybe, or because my friend Tommy Lee was the one that invited me to go. I was not aware, but it was in one of those uh, places and he invited me and said, hey, there's going to be this EEPROM training event. And I was at literally at the moment where I'm like, man, I'm having a hard time finding information. I wish I could just do a little bit more with the circuit board stuff a few years ago. And it was in South Dakota. Uh, We all went out there. We met with him and I was just blown away with his generosity and sharing information. You know, if he knew the answer, he gave it to you. If he didn't, he told you we'd find out together. And uh, (laughs) we messed up a lot of modules when we were there. We experimented a lot and I never looked back. It just gave me this hunger for more. I probably 
about a month and a half or two ever since that class when i got back home i was at about 10 11 p.m family went to sleep i was up to about two in the morning every single night experimenting with something trying new tools reading forums trying different things making a ton of mistakes and then it was just i couldn't get enough i still can't but man that beginning i just wanted to at least get a, a base understanding a good foundation on how to go about things and then that has always been my intention with the classes that we offered it was they were never uh, leaning towards let me teach you that ABC tool can work on XYZ car. It was always, look, these chips do this. These components work like this. This is something you can do. These are some tools because it, I think it's a lot more important to understand these systems and understand what the tools can do than to just teach you one tool, one car and nothing else. Um, that might have its benefits for repetitive steps. I just see a bigger picture in understanding what you're working on, because if you understand your enemy, you can pick a lot of different tools, not just one tool. Yeah, it seems almost like scan tools. Some work on certain car lines better than others with like, I don't know about presets is the right word, but a little more intuitive and then maybe have uh, adapters that work better on certain car lines than others. And then uh, other tools that are, you know, maybe wildly unintuitive, but super powerful at, or powerful is probably not the right word, but really good about reading in circuit, meaning you don't have to take the chip off the board to read it. There's ones that do that far, far better than others. Yeah, it's just one thing after the other. There is no rules. There's no, uh, I'm sure there's some people have written books, but there's from the manufacturer, when that computer is released from the vehicle maker's car line, they don't say, hey, if you want to work on this uh, computer that we uh, have put together, here's some instructions. Here's how it works. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we drill into people's heads is data sheets. All this information, all these details are in data sheets. When we were doing our class in vision, I had shared with the students that, you know, one of the biggest questions I had was, well, what temperature do I solder at? Right. <laughs> and it might seem silly to most seasoned people, but it's the truth. A lot of people can't even give you an answer. They can't give you a number. But if you go into the manufacturer of a solder, it actually tells you the safe temperatures. So now you've got combined that by looking at the component you're working on. You go into like a maker of a chip. And you look at the specifications and the temperature ranges, it tells you what's safe for that chip and what isn't. And it's all in data sheets. I just can't encourage that enough for people when they're really interested in getting into this. That's the first place they can start. And I wish somebody would have told me that because I, I honestly didn't think of that at first. But once you start doing it, it's it, I mean, there's so much out there. You're going to realize how little you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it makes sense when somebody says it. Once they say it, then it makes sense to go after the data sheets because... You know, it's not like the car manufacturers are building these chips or chipsets. They're buying them and they're buying them from relatively few entities. A Texas Instruments would be a good one to pick on that they build a lot of various chips or chipsets is probably a, the, a more accurate term. But then the, whoever's building that module and it's probably not, you know, the car manufacturer also isn't building that. It's somebody else like maybe a Delphi, maybe a Continental. They're building the modules, Bosch, and they're buying these chips and putting them on and then they write whatever firmware to that chip or chips or you know whatever they need to do to make it work the way they need it to work. Well, we can, like you're saying, you figure out who builds the chipset and maybe what series it is or what the number is, model. You can pull that data sheet that explains. I mean, usually these data sheets are Wow, four to 10 pages long. It's pretty rare 
I, I don't know the last one I've read that was under two pages. Oh, no. I mean, you know, you could definitely have like the cover sheet. It'll give you like a quick summary of some things, uh, which usually most of your info can be in the cover sheet. I mean, you could pick on another company. You, you know, I've seen some that talk about a group or a family of a microprocessor. <laughs> it could be 400 pages or more. God knows how many. I mean, a lot. So, you know, when we start looking at some more basic stuff, sure, it could be, you know, in the teens, but it just depends. It's how far do you want to go? How far do you want to go into that rabbit hole? It's a lot of engineering talk and it's a lot of searching what does this word mean and then continue reading and going back and forth. But once you're done with that, you feel a little bit more prepared and then taking on a job and maybe doing something cool that you never thought you could do before. Hey guys, Matt here talking to you about what the Napa Auto Care Center program can do for your business. You probably already know the Napa brand is the most recognized and trusted name in the automotive aftermarket industry. In fact, studies show nearly 95% of customers recognize Napa and associate it with quality parts, service, and technical expertise. So why not complete a Pro Image upgrade and take advantage of that? ProImage is a co-branding program for the exterior and interior of your shop. On the outside, it includes the Napa colors and distinctive Napa signage. While the public may know you as a reliable, locally owned business, a ProImage upgrade helps set your shop apart from the competition even further. It is also a visual signal to your customers and potential customers that you and Napa are partners. Most importantly, ProImage really works. This co-branding opportunity has helped Napa Auto Care Centers across the country increase their car counts and sales. In fact, those that have completed the ProImage project enjoy an average of 23% sales increase during their first year. ProImage upgrades are also available for the interior of your shop. A ProImage interior upgrade transforms your customer waiting area from merely utilitarian to warm and welcoming. The goal is to maintain your shop's independent identity while enhancing the customer's experience. You can get a free look at what a Pro Image exterior or interior upgrade can look like by visiting the Napa Auto Care member site and clicking on the Napa Pro Image link under the Napa Pro Image tab. Or contact your local Napa Auto Parts store. Your servicing Napa store can tell you more about Pro Image plus the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the Napa Auto Care family, the largest network of independent auto repair shops in the country. I don't want to feel like I'm going back backwards in the conversation. It just feels important to bring up that going to that class, that it was inaugural and it was small. Mike rented an Airbnb, but everybody in that, that attended, I feel like has become, if they weren't part of my network already, they were after that. And I'd never met uh, Andrew Sexton. You know, we had talked online a few times, but I'd never met him, met him out there. Now we're, you know, we're really good friends. We do classes together. Uh, you and I had met a few times uh, up to that point, but you, Brent, and I went for a obnoxiously long walk for coffee, <laughs> but that was great. I mean, that's, I mean, those are such time well spent, but the networking, it's, we keep coming back to that multiple different podcasts, multiple conversations is that's one way to keep building your network, especially if you're attending these classes. So there uh, Mike put on one rather recently in Minnesota, Minneapolis area. 
Sean Tipping hosted it essentially. Sean Tipping hosted it. And you meet all these people that they're all so eager to learn and you get everybody's name and numbers and all that. And next thing you know, you're bantering about this stuff because they're continuing to learn and finding stuff out and sharing, like you're saying, sharing. The classes are uh, very important for learning, but man, the people you meet and befriend and hopefully you can share with, they'll share back and that's the payoff. Oh, I mean, you know, like you said, going back to that uh, Airbnb place, after we were done with the official class, just sitting there and sharing stories and experiences, I don't want to take away from the learning lessons, but it was one of the most informative times spent. You know, is when you're actually sitting there and sharing real world stories, uh, very informal, and it's amazing. When you go to a training event and you have this leisure time between classes, I think that's the most valuable. And, uh, you know, people say it all the time. You know, we're definitely not the first to say it. I just think it needs to be said uh, that there's just so much potential to this, especially if you're learning a new topic. Uh, let's say you bought a tool and I bought a different tool, and now we're running into an obstacle where we can exchange thoughts and experiences. Well, can this tool do this for me or not? And then you find a solution. And that's so important because without that, either you're trying to buy every tool or just throwing your hands in the air. So it's, it's very, very important. I definitely agree with you. Yeah, it was a pretty star-studded class. I mean, you're there, obviously. So then it goes downhill pretty quick after that. No, no, man, not at all. Tommy Oliva and then Andrew Sexton, Keith Perkins. And then for some crazy reason, you guys let bring client and I into this. <laughs> I don't know who is pulling the strings on this. But. Oh, man. <laughs> I love you, Brent. I had no role in that. <laughs> <laughs> he was the navigator. We're going to hopefully get together again soon. Kind of like uh, getting t- uh, together again after a few years of, of breaking a lot of modules. See what stories we can share from that. So I'm really excited about doing that. Well, I think what you'll figure out is you guys have progressed quite a bit and you're going to be wondering like how is matt just still in the same spot spinning his wheels wrestling around with a module on the floor and his two screwdrivers and a heat gun right (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh that's great arguably started when i started doing instrument cluster repair and just replacing like stepper motors and stuff in the gms were you doing that before or after the class oh before okay that's kind of how it started like then i had to get a soldering station or you know, a rework station. And then um, I had somebody dropped off a cluster for a Buick that it was used and they needed it in their car, but the odometer was way off. At the time, I had a car prog and ended up, ended up, I was able to do it. Morgan and I were going back and forth about it. We figured it out and it wouldn't let me change it to like exactly the mileage I wanted, but I was close. Yeah, a lot of times it's, you know, because it's like some kind of like algorithm or equation that they grab out of different bits of data. So they get it pretty close, though. And then I had a BMW X5 that I tried to put a used DME in. And I had a stack of like three of them. And I bricked two of them. The third one ran for like 45 minutes. I thought I hit. I thought I knocked it out of the ballpark. <laughs> then it gave up, huh? Then it gave up. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All that messing around and somebody had a DME that they deleted theft out of it, a mobilizer out of it <laughs> for a hundred bucks, just plug it in and it goes. And that's what it did. <laughs> so I messed around for weeks on this DME failing epically. Uh, but I bet you learned a lot though. Yeah. Yeah. 
for a few days after that, you can name almost every like part of the memory that you're trying to figure out and the chipset and all that until it fades away after the, for the next car. <laughs> Got to make room for the other one. <laughs> just in time for the next oh, car. Oh, yeah. I learned I needed more. That's what I did. Not just training, like absolutely training, but I needed to more invest in more equipment, more uh, EEPROM tools, if you will, because that was not enough or I wasn't skilled enough with it by myself to uh, manipulate it. No, definitely. I think, you know, the training and the experiences, though, it points you in the direction of knowing what you're going to need for the next battle. You know, once you've gone through it and, and then you've made all these mistakes, potentially when you get the next project, uh, you're a little bit more equipped every time. Not as far as tooling, but like, you know, like any like any field, uh, you learned a little bit and you, and you know what to look out for. You know, you look for some red flags, some things that might work out in your favor, some alternatives and then things that you can actually work with. And that's when it starts to get more exciting. Uh, it just takes a ton of practice and a ton of time, though. Yep. And then I'm, I mean, been buying up used modules for stuff I see in anticipation. And that's how a lot of this has started for me. Uh, going back to the Subaru thing, that that's what we did. We, we got our hands on some bad ones and some good ones and played around with some numbers. And, and that's the way to do it. You know, in anticipation, if I hear of a customer that might use me for a job, I, I will do some research. If something's reasonably priced, I'll purchase it, practice, because I definitely do not want to ruin the one they need, right? Which happens, unfortunately. Uh, but I try to prepare myself the best way possible. You know, I, I want to learn the basics and the op- how everything works before I touch it. That way I'm, I'm more as prepared as I can be. And with this live stream, or at least the webinar, this sounds like I'm really blowing smoke up your tail. And, and I really don't. I'm really not. I'm just telling the way it is. Uh, I did not get to see the presentation at Vision this year for uh, your EEPROM class with Mike uh, Christofferson. Uh, but I heard really, really good things from really well-respected people. I really appreciate that. So you did a phenomenal job. What I did get to see you do firsthand was at the Tech Talks, uh, where you didn't get as much time as you needed but what you did was phenomenal. And then in Indiana, I attended one of your classes that you and Mike put on and you presented, I would say the vast majority of it. You were the main presenter with the, I guess, I don't want to say PowerPoint, but the presentation portion was me. It was really mainly you. So I guess where I'm going with this is not just kissing Pedro's tail, but to urge all of you, that uh, how good this webinar is going to be. And that's no pressure on Pedro because he's going to deliver no matter what. He'd, yeah, he's like Harry from Armageddon. He just doesn't know how to fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might surprise you. We'll see. <laughs> that It would be a tremendous surprise. I always like to put you know my best effort into things. And I, I hope that uh, after it, everybody can walk away with some really good information and something that they can apply. A lot of it just revolves around just putting in the work. <laughs> trying to get all the details and the facts as best as possible. Can't do people a disservice by giving out bad information. So I always try to strive to fact check myself in a lot of different ways to, to lead the, the, have the most success possible. Yeah. I think that's an important thing you said there because, you know, for other topics and stuff, I read uh, a lot of stuff about cognitive bias and stuff like that and how we're kind of pre-programmed to always find information that agrees with our views, our worldviews and all that. And I'm not trying to make this outside of auto repair. This is very specific what I'm talking about that. Uh, but you're 
the opposite. You're kind of like, I guess the vast majority of people that are in our group, if you, if we could say that, which I know is really vague and I'm not trying to make it sound like it's so clicky or anything like that, but the people that we've kind of come to hang out with and interact with, they're not so much out to prove themselves right. They're trying to find where they're wrong. Yeah. That's really well said. Yeah. You try to prove yourself wrong. Anybody that can stand in front of a group of people and try to share information, I applaud them. I think we all learn differently and a lot of people that and that teach t- have different teaching styles. But the most important thing we can do uh, is, is do right by the students and at least share uh, good information. I've been in some places where something maybe wasn't that accurate or, or maybe by mistake something was said incorrectly. And it's terrible if you have like a young thriving student or just someone that tries to apply something in the shop and it makes a bad call on that information. And I, I would carry that heavily if that was because of me. And, and then I think when we stand up on that stage, we have a responsibility to at least share the, the best information possible. Um, and like always, if you don't know, it's, it's better to say you don't know. <laughs> I guess I couldn't agree with that more because I, I think I've been in a, quite a few presentations where I don't know if it's the actual presenter has come up with the theory themselves or whoever is writing the material. But I think they just try to come up with their own theory, come up with their own hypothesis that how something's working or what's really happening. And it's wildly, wildly inaccurate, wildly inaccurate. And you're right. There's a group of, not everybody in there has the same BS meter. I mean, they're probably in the class for the re- a reason they don't know. And now they're in this class trying to learn and they're getting some bad info with there's really no way for them to uh, have an alarm go off in their head saying like, well, no, that, that doesn't sound right. That's a lot to ask. Uh, the way they find out is the hard way with a bad, a bad call, bad diagnosis. It happens. And all we can do is a, uh, as an industry strive to better that and keep trying to work and get the best information out there, especially the way things are right now with, you know, it appears to be a technician shortage and things like that. You know, there's a struggle everywhere. So all we can do is try to improve and have the best information possible out for people. Yeah. And I suppose what I said could be taken to be super critical and, in some cases, it really is. It's I'm being very critical. And other things, less to do with who's involved, but just in a way, that's how things work. That's how we learn. And when you're presenting, it's, you know, as far as I know, or, you know, this is the kind of the theory we're going with right now. So a, a classic one, you know, I'm risk being a broken record, you know, and repeating this. But the first thing that pops into my head when I'm thinking about widely distributed incorrect information because that's what was thought at the time and it seemed reasonable was the uh, cycling of the feed gas into a catalytic converter that the reason they cycled the feed gas the exhaust if you will into a catalytic converter was because that's how it operated most efficiently that when things went lean the excess oxygen allowed it to store and then you know go rich or lack of oxygen and then uh, it could release it, and that would allow it to oxidize yeah. and reduce. And repeat. And repeat. And it turns out that is way not the case. They cycled the feed gas because of the way the oxygen sensors worked at the time. They didn't have air-fuel ratio sensors. So they were cycling the feed gas because that gave them an average of stoic, or lambda-1. And lambda-1 stoic, or very close to it, is where the cats work most efficiently. It took a long time to figure that out with some really, really, really smart people that were, they were presenting and teaching the cycling idea through dynos and uh, high-grade lab-grade equipment. 
they figure it out. Then we got to change. That's fairly natural. But there's a lot of stuff that we get presented that is outright wrong. Not just like professionally, though. Classes that we go to at, um, you know, as professionals at expos or whatever. It may happen there, too. Or it does happen. But where it happens the most is like post-secondary or college level, high school levels, where there is a lot of a lot of incorrect information. No, uh, that's very, very true. I think it's neat, though, like to kind of put a spin on it. It's very neat that we could have this misconception, right, for so many years. And then we start teaching it otherwise. Like, wait, you know what? We were wrong. To be able to accept that, because I've been around some people that will neglect to accept something. Like they were raised in, in this industry to believe, I don't know, if you have a an ignition misfire, you have a... I know that there's alternatives to a lot of things, but that you have a dead-on rich condition the whole time. It's excessively rich. And you try to explain something. Well, it doesn't really work that way because you also have unused air. So it balances it out. What comes in, comes out. And if you can accept that and look into it or at least challenge that opinion, you're already growing. But when you get stuck like, nope, it's unburned fuel. I'm going to ignore the rest of the other dynamics. It makes it hard to learn. And, and that's a, an example towards everything else, though, that you're saying. When we can actually grow and say, wow, I was wrong for the past 15 years. I really want to get better at this and, and learn this new way. I think that's more important than anything else. Who cares if you were wrong? If you're willing to correct it and learn it and accept it, that's where you really become so wise and knowledgeable. I couldn't agree more. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, because it's not really set in stone. It's like an EEPROM, man. It's rewritable. Yeah, there you go. Hey, I like that. I might take that from you. <laughs> you should. So the company, you have an employee now? Yes. As of January of this year, um, hired uh, David, great, great technician. I had this idea that for some time that I wanted to hire somebody that came out of the IT world. And, you know, there's a lot of guys in our industry that have that background and they're amazing. They had always led me curious. I wonder if they would have uh, an easier time dealing with programming situations. And so far, uh, he has not disappointed. Anything that has to do with programming, he does an amazing job. He can catch things really well. He actually has no automotive background whatsoever. Anything he's learning with automotive has been under me. And, and I do my very best to teach him the basics. And And you know how it is. When you've done something for so long, you sometimes forget to tell somebody why. You might know it. You might not know how to express it right away. You know, and I don't mean like me standing in front of a classroom. It's just standing there with my employee telling him, well, you have to do this. And he asks why, kind of stops me for a second. I'm like, why is that? You know, I need to remember why we do this. So it's been a learning experience for me, too, uh, to be able to kind of build him from the bottom up uh, and, and make sure that he has the best chance of success in the automotive field. And, and I think, you know, with the way cars are, and, and I can't say now because, you know, this stuff has been going on for a long time. You know, modern electronics have been in vehicles for a very long time, not working and all that. But I believe when you have somebody that's very familiar with a Microsoft platform and then you have them have to troubleshoot, you know, security issues, Java versions, Internet issues, Internet settings, because you have to be your own IT guy when you're programming, right? And sometimes you're there, the job has to get done, and you have to come up with a solution. So having somebody with that background there, it, it's really, really impressive. And, and I'm, hopefully anybody that I can add on in the future, I would not mind getting somebody from that field again. When I get asked certain questions, sometimes I feel overwhelmed that um, they may ask me something that seems like a simple question. Well, you might have a knee-jerk reaction to it if it was you. 
but to actually regurgitate the process and the why, it's a different story. Uh, so it's definitely something, um, it's almost like you need a game plan where you're going to have like a new guy come in and you're going to train him. You need to train yourself again a little bit to make sure that you're giving them the right one. Because the one thing I hated from the beginning, you know, getting into a shop early on and go replace this part. Oh, why? What, what happened to it? What's wrong with it? It's bad. Just replace it. That, oh, man, that would eat me. It sucked because I wanted to know why, because I knew that if I could learn that I could do a better job next time. Uh, and then I think when we offer that to these new people, as somebody with no experience, man, it, it's, it's just amazing. It'll be on something where maybe they looked at it for a while, didn't figure it out. And then I go and f- figure it out in a perceived short time. And they'll ask me how I did it. And, you know, like one of them, I just left the scan tool and I said, the answer is right on the screen and walked away. And that was, I guess, considered being a jerk move, but that wasn't my intent. I just wanted to look at the data a while. So like, where is it, right? <laughs> I'm supposed to see it here. When it's finally time to explain what I did and how I did it, I found that as I couldn't explain it concisely. It's like all of a sudden it's like, oh man, we got to talk about airflow systems versus speed density. And now we have to talk about pre and post CAD O2 sensors and authority and stuff like that. And it's like, oh man. I don't even know how to say this in a paragraph. Like, I don't think I can explain this to you in five minutes because I suck. The hardest part, though, is starting. Where do you start, right? Because you could jump in into how one works or the other, but where do you start so it makes sense? And that's a challenge. That's the real, real challenge there. But when you get presented with those situations, it's always a learning experience for you. But having him on there with me, I can tell you, has really helped me change a little bit of my structure because I was able to, you know, one of the biggest challenges with being mobile is in offering diagnostics specifically. A lot of uh, companies that do mobile work might just focus on programming, which is okay, or maybe ADOS, right? So one of the things that I was always taking out was Diag. Let's say I get a difficult diagnostic and I'm so stubborn. If, if I can't figure it out, I don't know how to walk away. I'm, I'm terrible at that. It's almost like it's telling me to stay there longer and waste more time. I'm not going to figure it out anyway at that time. So it's allowed me to change the structure where uh, now we actually have a, a repair shop. I'm in there on my own right now and uh, David's on the road. So all the diagnostics now come in to the shop. And we're just offering the mobile programming, uh, mobile locksmith services, some cloning services for modules, you know, especially, you know, with all these module shortages. Uh, it's definitely been a, a great opportunity to help our customers. Uh, so all that stuff can come into the shop, some of it on the road, but definitely all the diagnostics are coming to home base. And something that I learned is even though it, it helps the shops a lot when they can have a mobile guy come in, I have found them a lot more efficient at home base. I'm not trying to talk this up about myself. I thought I, I did good, you know, and, and I think I did. I did a great job. I, I, I could take care of things and get things usually figured out in time. But I feel that it's so much easier. You know, I had forgotten what it was to be in a shop, to be honest with you. I had forgotten how it is. Oh, wait, I have a desk. I have a toolbox. You know, I was always used to working with a little cart under the hood with limitations. And sometimes I catch myself like, hold on, you know, I'm in a different environment again. I can try something different. And, and it's been really amazing growing opportunity. So so it works either way. But, man, it, you just I don't care how long you've been doing it, doing it mobile versus at home base. It, it's a lot more efficient. Yeah, that's why I do that. You do offer some mobile stuff, right? Like you'll go out and do some stuff or, or am I? No, no. Again, there's maybe 20 shops nearby. I guess there's a couple more I'll drive 20 minutes or so to go do something. Usually it's programming. 
Dyag gets rough because, you know, I don't have the van set up or the a car set up with all my stuff. Like I try to predict what I think I might need. And a lot of times I just find that it's like, you know, if you really need me to figure this out, I need it at my, I need it at the shop where all my stuff is. And usually more often than not, you know, by far more often than not, they are more than willing to get that to my, get it to the shop. And I don't have room to talk much because the mobile diag I've done has been minuscule compared to what you've done and sheer in volume. I'm not even on the radar, but it just goes so much better because, you know, my service information's there. I know where everything is and can have so much more stuff, stuff you wouldn't have thought to bring with. And I actually forgot the point I was making earlier. You just reminded me, I was a little scared to tell my customers that we were going to change how we operate and, and have the cars towed to our shop because we don't have a storefront that services uh, end users. It's not a very busy area that I'm in. It's kind of in the back of some uh, warehouses. And I was shocked. I can almost say I don't think I lo- I skipped a beat with any customers. They, they were all very happy and willing. And it's not a flex for me to say that, but it's more like, very grateful for the customers. And it just shows that as an industry, at least they were okay with understanding that, that there's other ways of doing things and that we can work together. They understood that I can still help them and they were willing to meet me halfway. Were you doing a lot of stuff outside? Yeah. A lot of people, you know, talk it down. They say they don't do it and, and that's fine. You know, I applaud them and that's how they work. I'm stubborn. And if there wasn't room in the shop or I just felt comfortable if it was super hot, super cold, it wouldn't matter. If I just knew that I could just get it done, I was outside. And then that was a choice that I made. So some like again, you know, now that I'm in a building, sometimes I forget, wait, I could probably just push this car inside and be a little more comfortable instead of being here in this parking lot. I try to be efficient and, and get back into that rhythm. But no, definitely it's it's amazing. Once you realize that when you work with good people, things are a lot easier on you. And it's been fortunate that uh, these shops that I service uh, have been willing to follow me where I'm at. I think uh, a lot of this, it, honestly, you know, off radio or not, it just has to do with humanizing and sharing experiences. I think that when we talk about our strategies and our background and our history, I really, really enjoy sharing all of my faults uh, when we talk because Anybody that's listening, that's striving to do something, maybe they're just disgruntled somewhere, not being appreciated. They can do it, man. When I started mobile and you can delete all this. It's just you really just brought it to my mind right now. Um, I had a rage quit before I went mobile over something that was just that was a really unfair situation that I was in. And I think I was got a little temperamental. You know, it wasn't like aggressive or anything, but I was like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm like, you know, I'm done. Hey, guys, listen, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. And definitely caught my wife off guard that that's a different conversation for another day but it was like once you have that drive and that desire and to do something for yourself it's a different story and when i used to see people doing this i thought they were wizards you know, like there's no way that i could ever do something like that i could ever be mobile there's no way i could ever afford this tool it just really really just so humbling that You know, when you put in the effort and the work, and I'm fortunate to have so many awesome people around me, you being one of them. Before we took that walk to Starbucks, I, you were like just untouchable. Like there wasn't even human, man. And it was really, really, really great. Honest to God, I was super intimidated uh, to even have a conversation with you. So it was very humbling to have that opportunity to hang out with you and and to be able to call you a friend. Just want to throw that out there. I got to wipe the tears. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, it's neat, man. I, I feel that 
I have been in, in the automotive. I have been in a lot of bad situations, but they are shadowed by a lot of good circumstances that I've had. You know, you have so many people like I would never tell somebody to work in automotive. I'll tell my kids to never do it. I don't feel that way. I really, really don't. I, I love this field. I, I love what I do. And I think with proper education, a good network, it's a beautiful field to be in. And I definitely feel that way now, at least the last maybe five years or so. Maybe maybe before then, I may have hesitated or I would have set the table a little bit with the recommendation. Like there's a tremendous upside to doing this. You know, the challenge different every day. It's not same thing. It's not mundane. Now with the way things are with this, the, the talent shortage, the skill gap, the skill shortage, wages and compensation and work environments are improving drastically because we got to get new people in and we got to keep the good people we have. Now it's kind of like, eh, there's probably never been a better time to be a tech. And then uh, with the mobile stuff taken off, like you said, you, you kind of have some choices with your mobile. If you if you if you choose to have mobile and you think there's a market there, you have avenues of. You could be focused a lot on programming. It could be focused a lot on diagnostics. It could be focused a lot on like locksmithing and you know EEPROM kind of gets involved with that. I think. Yeah, inevitably. Yeah, and it could get involved a little bit with programming, especially now with module shortages, part shortages. OE software not working. <laughs> yeah. Dude, is it me or has it never been so bad? No, it's we'll have a day literally of GM, a Ford update, and then Chrysler. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it's almost like if I go back five, seven, eight years ago, it wasn't as common to run into that. Things have always been broken. But again, look at the age we're in. Everything has to be web-based. You know, I don't fully understand it, but I always just picture like this room full of servers that are constantly failing when we have these issues. And then these engineers trying to feel, well, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. I don't know where to start. So we'll try to patch things here and there, and they're never right after that. <laughs> so that's my illustration of it. But it's terrible. Everything's cloud-based. And of course, there's going to be errors. You know, nothing's perfect. But, you know, when you don't have something that's, man, I'm, we're going to age ourselves here, like test 2000 or something, just your files were there, things were working. It's not like that anymore. You know, now you open up a, a GM programming event and the file's not even in their server anymore. <laughs> it's not even aging out. It's if it's in your bay. Yeah. No, you're right. Sometimes it's what you need to get the job done. So you're doing what you got to do to find whatever version to make it happen. And I think it's going to get worse. I, I really do. I think as they're phasing on new tools, the thing is you have, you're in a situation now, consider this with the module shortage, right? They had exclusive manufacturers and certain chip families that were dedicated to automotive. They were considered to be older designs. They were reliable, but they were considered to be older. Those parts are not available, let's say. So they're shoving all these parts that are unfamiliar and not, and not been tested for the reliability and endurance and the automotive stresses. A lot of things are going to fail and it's inevitable. And they're rushing so many things. I mean, you have cars with Ethernet and they're just changing everything with the networking, all these antennas on them. Obviously, ADAS is, you know, never ending all these adaptations for self-driving. Even though it feels like we're in a crazy, crazy modern environment, we're at the tip of the iceberg. I could not agree more. That might be a really good way to end. Oh, awesome. Awesome. I so appreciate your friendship. You know, I know we had visited a couple of times once at Vision. 
is friendly and all that, but being able to hang out with you for the better part of a, well, I guess a long weekend. And then, uh, appreciate that you, you'll answer the phone if I call. It's <laughs> very touching. Oh man, I try, I try. A lot it's of people, like, it just goes right to voicemail. <laughs> Default setting, right? <laughs> Block the call. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no not at all, man. It, it, it's been a great experience and uh, we'll see what the future holds, man. It's very exciting times and uh, your podcast is awesome. So can't wait to see how, how much of this of my talking you have to delete to make it work, but I'm sure you'll make the best decisions possible. There'll be a lot of talking I have to delete, but it'll be all mine. <laughs> oh man let me know as soon as you know uh when you're gonna run the webinar and i spread the word as much as i can because i think you're the you're the future of training like you're on a short list thank you thank Um, you you're that you're that level and i know it sounds like a complete ass kiss but it's really the truth it it really is thank you i really appreciate that man i was gonna try to whip up a date for you just for this podcast but Typical me, I'm like, I can't do that because it's not locked in. I'd rather tell them I don't have it. Uh, but as soon as I can lock it in, I'll, I'm going to stick with it. So you, you'll have it very soon. And uh, I'm going to make it one of the... I haven't done anything like that before. And I just want to make it like a kick-ass interactive thing. So I'm, I'm definitely uh, keep you posted. Awesome. I really appreciate it, sir. Thanks, Matt. You have a wonderful night. And it was a real pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget, if you want to reach out to me, Matt Fonslow podcast at gmail.com. Also easily reach out to me via social media on uh, messenger or the Facebook page for diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z. Thank you Napa for sponsoring. Thank you Pedro again for joining me and until next time. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the aftermarket radio network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.